launched in 2010, now 180 people all over the place. Again, really focused right now on some specific data points, card abandonment, things like that. But their breadth and their expanse of their data is growing fast. It's powering a much smarter engine. He came from an agency background, grew that to about 5 million bucks in annual revenue before branched off and did software exclusively. It's bootstrapped, which I love. They're serving 500 customers, paying on average five grand a month. So doing about 2.5 million per month right now. That's up from about 1.7 just 13 months ago. So 30% year over year growth, really healthy revenue retention year over year at 101%. CAC to LTV, super healthy as well. They get paid back in under six months. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. My guest this morning is Dominic Edmonds. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Sale Cycle and is focused on utilizing customer data to drive conversions and ROI through behavioral marketing. Dominic, are you ready to take us to the top? Hell yeah. All right. This is a tough tough space. How is sales cycle winning? Yeah, we're winning pretty well. I think that it helps being one of the early entrants to the space, which means that we've been able to develop our offering together with the view of the market as it's grown itself. So yeah, we win through a blend of our technology features together with service as well. We don't shy away from giving people the best in class. What percentage of your revenue over the past 12 months was from professional services versus recurring SaaS? Uh, off the top of my head, you're going to say it's relatively small, given that the professional SaaS piece is what we built on in terms of scalability. But my background in agency means that I understand that when you talk about building relationships rather than investing in hands-on client support, it allows you for cross-sell, upsell opportunities. So it's all about building a relationship. Having somebody who can pick up the phone is really important to us. So when you say relatively small, I mean, are we talking less than 10% as professional service? Uh, yeah, around about that. Okay. All right. And then, and then tell me about the rest of your model. Is the rest pure, like a pure play SaaS model? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So we've been through a number of different pricing models over the eight years that we've existed. We started out in a pure performance-based pricing model, which was really cool because it allows you to really get ballsy with the market and, and really talk about what you want to deliver. But as you mature, you understand that actually you need to build something a little more predictable for those uh, tough CFOs out there. Yep. And, and your model, so what, how are you making money in that model and when did you shift it to more SaaS? So we've had a number of iterations. So we started out as performance. Now I would still class performance as SaaS for us because having done that for kind of three, four years in the early days, we understood seasonality down to an art, meaning that we understood what to expect from a client depend on their sale cycle, excuse the pun. Uh, so that was fairly predictable. However, taking something then to a blend of a base fee, which allows us to talk about servicing, allowed us to talk about the implementation fees, the costs that go with it, and then applying a performance fee on top was our second iteration. And now we've moved into a 100% flat fee model, which again matches with the same kind of fees people would have been paying us on average, but it smooths it out rather than making it choppy, I guess. I don't understand that. If so, if you have a bunch of customers paying flat fees, your revenue is going to be really chunky up and down versus predictable kind of stacking SaaS. What am I misunderstanding? No, no. So when I say flat fees, those flat fees means that instead of a customer who may go through a period where they're in sale on their, let's say it's a fashion retailer and they're paying us 
20,000 a month. And when they're not in sale, they could be paying us 5,000 a month. What we're talking about is picking effectively the equivalent of an average billing. So a flat fee is between those, meaning that over the year, nobody loses out. I see. Okay. And then generally, just so we can better understand your customers, average contract size in year one is what? Are we talking 10 grand, a million, 100,000? We do have variants because obviously we work in different sectors as well. We work on very average, well in- though. Yeah, on average, you would be looking at a monthly MRR, which is technically what we live in. We'd be talking around about the $5,000 a month mark. Okay, now you launched, let's go back and learn more about your story here. Launched in 2009. Where was your head at at that time? Were you, you know, struggling, back against the wall, had to make this work? Did you just sell your last company? Where were you at? So I came out of agency. Uh, so strictly speaking, we started in 2010, February 2010, February 5th, actually, just past our eighth birthday. But I came out of an agency role where it was becoming clear to me that clients were approaching us to address abandonment issues on their side, as they would list them as they had a high abandonment rate. They didn't. They had an average abandonment rate. The challenge you face, Mr. Klein, is the same challenge your competitors are facing. And that really was a crystallization behind SalesCycle could be a singular enterprise-level product which can address this issue for a number of customers. Okay, interesting. So you, and give me a sense of the size of the agency before you started thinking about building software. I mean, were you doing a million bucks a year, a hundred grand? Uh, so we would be doing around about five million a year. Five million. Okay, so it takes some energy yeah. and focus to basically slowly shut that down while you ramp SaaS, or are they both running in parallel right now? Uh, so I stepped away from that. That business has gone from strength to strength. Um, the interesting thing is the shareholders in that agency are the same shareholders I have in sales cycle, which means my relationship with them has continued. But there's certainly a 12-month transition period where I was wearing both hats. Interesting. Now, when you talk about shareholders, I start wondering about investment. Have you bootstrapped this thing? Or if not, how much have you raised? I think we're the definition of bootstrapped, in t- certainly in terms of US terms. So we raised £80,000 of investment to build this. And, and, and nothing on the agency side? You mentioned you have shareholders there. Was that totally bootstrapped as well? Yes, totally bootstrapped. Okay, got it. We so th- no institutional money to date. That's great. So I, I love that. And you're based, I think you told me uh, earlier, you're based in Leesburg, Virginia, my hometown, which is great. Where are you based there? What part of the city? Uh, in Langstone. Ah, very good. That's, a good. that's a good spot to be in. And what's the team size today? Our team size in the U.S. is 35, but globally 180. Okay, and walk me through the breakdown. So, so where else do you have offices and what do they do? So offices currently, we still have our headquarters based out the northeast of England. Uh, we then have one in downtown Paris, and we've got one in Singapore together with here in the US as well. In terms of what they do, they, I suppose we split the business into regions, as you might expect. So we have the America's office space here in the US, which allows us to win customers, manage those customers, support them, implement them locally. We do exactly the same thing in Paris, exactly the same thing in Singapore, exactly the same thing in the UK. However, we also have a central division, as it's referred to, which is core technology functions, uh, finance, roles like myself, strategic roles, which effectively all of the regions benefit from. Interesting. Now, you're the fo- you're one of the founders, correct? I'm the founder, yeah. The, any, do you have any other co-founders or just you? It's just me. How have you kept, your, how have you kept, kept yourself sane? Who do, you, who do you go talk to when you're, when you're having a bad day? Uh, my wife, the cats, uh, the children. Oh, realistically, though, I can speak to my shareholders uh, <laughs> because they, they have a strong track record themselves of entrepreneurship and investment and seeing journeys like this through to multiple points of exit. Um, so, no, I do rely on those relationships. 
I, like you guys, have never been able to find a project management tool that I love. You know, my blog writers like one thing, my developers like one thing, my designers like a different thing, and it's so difficult to get them all on the same page. So when I had Roy Mann, the CEO of Monday.com on the show, I was pleasantly surprised at what he told me regarding his traction and his growth, and I said, maybe I should try this thing. So we now use Monday.com. I started with the magazine. We've launched the Latka magazine, solely dedicated to SaaS founders. It's the only magazine focused on SaaS. And my content writers and my designers worked beautifully together on that project using Monday.com for project management. I then said, well, let me give it a real test. Let me see if I can use this for sprints and product cycles with my developers using it as well. And so we did that for GitLatka on our last release. It worked like a charm. Never before have I been able to find one tool that my developers, my designers, and my writers, and myself can use and be happy with. You know, for me, I do most of my work waiting on the boarding deck about to get on a plane. I have to be able to access this stuff on my mobile device, and it works beautifully. We've been using it for several months now, and I said, Roy, I'd love to introduce this to my audience, but you got to give me a great discount. Make me a great offer. He said, Nathan, okay, fine. If your folks sign up and try today, we'll give them 10% off all plans if they use this link, nathanlacka.com forward slash Monday. So you can go there, try it for free, and if you decide to start paying, you'll get 10% off. Again, that's nathanlacka.com forward slash Monday. And what are you growing at right now? Would you say year over year, just the software side, ignore the agency? Yeah, yeah, well, I stepped fully away from the agency, okay. so growing at 30% year on year. That's great. I mean, for a bootstrap company, that's healthy. And what are you at now today in terms of total customers you're serving? Uh, we've got north of 500 customers. Uh, we've been profitable for five years. Um, yeah, life's good. And is that all, just to be clear, is this all kind of cart abandonment related or you're branching into other parts of the sales cycle and other kinds of uh, business models? So when we started the business, we focused very heavily on the cart abandonment piece because that was our entry to market. But when we talk about being a behavioral marketing business, it opens it up much further. Uh, so email is a channel. And within that channel, you have cart abandonment. You also have post-purchase, cross-sell, upsell, survey-based information. But then we have the on-site channel, which allows us to engage with you this throughout the shopping funnel, capture additional data, provide them with different points of entry to complete their purchase, et cetera. That's a channel. And then we have the SMS channel as well. So that's really the way the business is structured at the moment. Interesting. So your value, you'd say, is you're pulling all these data channels together so the business can make the smartest decision on how to drive more sales. That's exactly right. Interesting. Are you selling access to the data to anybody else, kind of like a Clearbit model or no? Not currently. Okay. Something you're expanding to? Yeah. Interesting. Why? Enough said. I can't go into any more about that. Okay. Uh, why? Is it just too sensitive? Yeah. It's sensitive based off. We're going through a great deal of um, opportunistic learnings within the business. And, and I think it's fair to say that we're in a, a path to become a data marketing business, but there's a lot of sensitive information involved in that. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, good. Um, and in terms of size, by the way, 500 customers, $5,000 monthly ARPU. I mean, that puts you at out north of 2 million a month. Is that generally accurate? Yeah, it's pretty close to that. Uh, okay. And growing 30% year over year, that means you're doing somewhere about what? 1.7 ish about 13 months ago. Monthly? Uh, yes, roughly speaking. So, Forgive me, again, not digging through it in the detail <laughs> in front of me. Yeah, I'm just going to say, yeah, your math's pretty solid so far. <laughs> you trust me. It's something like that. All right, good. Yeah, you're right around one. If it is 30% year-over-year growth, it was about 1.7 uh, last year. So that's healthy. Now, a model like this, obviously, churn can kick your butt if it's not in check. Tell me about churn. Oh, yeah. No, no we, we've been through those pains. Absolutely, yeah, where you can win customers fast and you can lose them fast. And that really boils down to the service element I touched on before. 
And being able to focus the team, not just on renewals, but also on growth opportunities means that actually currently, if you look at our retention analysis, um, if you look at our gross retention, it's around about 90%. If you look at our net retention, it's around about 101%. Uh, okay. so actually, and just to be clear, that's on, a revenue, that's on a revenue basis or a logo basis? That's revenue basis. Okay, so say it one more time. Even with, so gross churn, you're yep. looking at 91%. Uh, sorry, gross retention. I shouldn't say gross churn. That's completely the wrong thing. You'd be out of business. <laughs> 91% and net retention, 101 yeah, so just, so actually, just, yeah. So just to be clear, sorry to break that down, you're, you're churning 9% of your revenue annually, but you're adding 11% or, or sorry, 10% exactly right. to give you 101. We're growing the customers that we're holding on to. Yeah, interesting. And would you say, generally speaking, as you think about new products, like potentially this kind of data play, is your is your focus going to be getting more wallet share from current customer base, increasing ARPUs there, or actually bringing on brand new customers you weren't able to serve earlier? It's got to be both. It generally does. Obviously, we've got a tremendous foothold in the customers that we actually hold at the moment, and we understand them very well. So there is, in theory, a softer sell there. But the whole point in having large ambitions is that, truthfully, I want to go over there, and I want to eat the lunch of some very established players. Because Who? they can't do what they say they do. Um, I'll leave that for now. Oh, come on. You can't, you can't act like you're all competitive and then not throw out names. Who are you targeting? You want me to tell them I'm coming for Name them? a big one, Dominic. Uh, I'll let you name them. Well, I don't know the space. You know your business. I mean, what, are we are we talking like a are we talking like a Shopify? Or are we talking like a like a demand oh, base? Way bigger. Well, Shopify is pretty big. Way bigger. Shopify is a multi billion dollar company. So, I mean, way bigger. Who? Who? I'm going big. I'm going ballsy. It is what it, if you think of the marketing cloud space. Let's call it that. If you consider the. Marketing cloud providers have been built, have been constructed on technology that was acquired and cobbled together that was never designed to work in tuition, meaning that actually they make a lot of promises they can't deliver on. If you focus on the data initially and how you can actually use it to not only identify propensity to buy, but also effective ad spend and realistically communication-based digital spend, then that means you can take yourself into a space where you can deliver a significant uptick in R&I with a greater reduction in cost, moving into, I guess, what you'd classify as certainly the marketing cloud space, the DMP space, start to blend them together. It becomes really interesting on what we can do. If you consider the data that we capture is all transactional. So this is understanding what people want to buy, when they want to buy, and what they just bought and why they bought it, together with understanding, okay, if you're going to contact that same customer, let's understand that data pool together. So on the marketing automation side, you've got the Infusionsofts, the HubSpots, the Marketos of the world. When you start getting a DMP and DSP side, you've got the you know Bill Wise's at MediaOcean of the world. There's a whole market over there. You're oh, interested yeah. in kind of bringing both those sides together. My question to you would be, the, 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 the fastest way to bring those sides together is who has access to the most data because then you make your engine the smartest because you train your thing. It's How do you- not just the volume of data. Okay, wh- why? Not just the, it's the quality of the data. So you're saying they have shitty quality? No, I would never say that about them. But what I'm saying is the quality of the data that we have is very unique to us. Well, they've got transactions. They have a lot. They have, I would say, a much, much larger, by a factor of maybe 100 or 1,000 X your data size and it's actual transactional data. Why is your data better? If you consider the impression-based data and shopping-based specific data that we capture on a daily basis based on the individual user, not just an individual session, and being able to glue that together across device to understand specifically what results are generated across different customers, in terms of the ability to pull this data together. It's a very unique data set. Um, we've had a lot of inquiries inbound asking us as to whether we would actually sell that data into parties such as that because they see the value in it. Um, at this moment in time, we're not looking to do that. We're looking to further enhance that data, further enrich that data. We've looked about bringing on board third-party data to further enrich it ourselves. So 
yeah, we, we've got some fun times ahead of us. Okay, good. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I get it. Real quick before we wrap up, unit economics. Oh, you're bootstrapped. You can't pay a lot yeah. up front and wait two years to get your money back. How quickly do you like to get your money back, your, your CAC? Oh, our cost of acquisition is pretty solid. So give me some, da, 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 da. our cost of acquisition, LTV ratio. So we pay back around about 5.6 months. Okay, 5.6 months. And if people are paying on average five grand a month, so what, you're spending 30 grand to acquire these customers? And- just under, just under, yeah. Okay. And, that, okay, and that's a max, right? So 30 grand, your payback's healthy. What do you assume, this, now we have to be careful here, what do you assume these customers are going to give you over their lifetime? How long do they stay with you on average? Uh, so our uh, LTV at this moment, as it continues to grow, sits just under $400,000. Okay, and that's probably like a, a, a minimum, right? You're conservative with that? Um. I guess the question concerned, I expect it to be larger next month and larger the month after because we're retaining these customers. So as much as it's conservative when I look at the future, it's actual. If I look at the last time we ran it, it was two months ago. Interesting. Okay. And that comes out to about how many years of them staying with you? Oh, okay. Now you're asking me. Uh, I'd have to come back to you. Take the 400,000 divided by our average deal value and you get roughly what it is. Yeah. So if I divide it by 5,000 a month, that gives you obviously 80 months or approximately seven years. Yeah, but some will be obviously paying us a great deal more. Yep. Some will be paying a little bit less. There is a blend in these things. I, I, I try not to get too lost in what you call the traditional SaaS-based average metrics. Whilst they exist, the averages, the edge cases are the things you can learn more from. Um, why is it you have a customer who pay less? What's the unique case opportunity there? What is the wider opportunity to get them to pay more? Why would someone pay vastly more? What are they getting that others aren't? So I think it's important to understand the full breadth of your business, not just the middle point. Yep. No, it makes good sense, Dominic. Let's uh, let's wrap up here with the famous five. First one. What's the last business book you read? Uh, I couldn't tell you truthfully. I'm not really a business book reader. Uh, what's the last book you read? I believe you go. Oh, I'm currently reading the Essex Serpent. The Essex Serpent. Oh yeah, and I have just ordered the Watchman uh, Sketch Edition. It's called Watchman Noir. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Number two, um, so- number two. Name your favorite CEO in Leesburg. You like to go out and get coffee or dinner with. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, and I can't choose me, no? No, not you. <laughs> I think, truthfully, when I look at the book question and actually the CEO I'm studying question, really, see, I like people that be themselves. You know, as I talk to people who join the business and they want to uh, maybe look up, find a mentor, et cetera, who is it they want to be? Uh, the, the great sports sign of go out and be yourself because everyone else is taken. You've got to understand the skills that you have because those are the skills so that Dominic, you have. Name, you a C- name a CEO in Leesburg you really enjoy chatting with. I don't think I can. You don't, you don't, there's not people you brainstorm with in Leesburg. Oh, I love talking to people. Don't get me wrong. Okay, that's but the if question. if you're going to ask me to pull one person out, who I'm going to focus on is put them at the top of the tree. I don't believe in putting people. It, it wasn't top of the, the tree. It's not top of the tree. You're not ranking people, but this is for other people when they're going through that area or they're researching Northern Virginia, who should they be thinking about? Name someone who you think is a good thought leader there. I'd take a look at the um, CEO who splits his time between Leesburg and San Francisco, who is the CEO of Sobriety, although I can't necessarily remember his name. That's okay. Let's move to the third question. What's your favorite online tool besides your own? Uh, Business-wise, we use Google across everything. So Hangouts is a big deal for us because we've got international offices and we connect everything via video conference, by Gchat, et cetera. So whether it's the best, it's what I use every damn day. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, I'm going to go with roughly six and a half. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kiddos? Uh, yeah, married two kiddos, 11 and 6. Oh, wow. Okay, and how old are you? Uh, I'm 40. Turned Four. just this week. Good. Happy birthday. Last question. Take us back to your 20-year-old self. What do you wish she knew? Uh, yeah, I think what I would tell myself if I was 20 years old is find the balance. 
I think in the early days of business, you can be pretty sucked into it, and that makes perfect sense. But you've got to stop and enjoy the journey. Uh, if you become too focused on where you're trying to get, you can't enjoy every step. I remember being at a business conference in the northeast of England around about 10 years ago where Elle McPherson came to speak. You might think Elle McPherson business conference at that time necessarily why. Talking around her perfume, laundry, beauty brand stuff. And there's a line she said about enjoying the, the daily journey. She said, I don't dance to get to the end of the song. And I just think that's quite a poignant way of putting it. That actually, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. It's not just about reaching a target. There you guys have it from DominicSaleCycle.com. He's enjoying his dance. Well, maybe I'll have to get a video, Dominic, of you dancing around. No one's watching. But launched in, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not, maybe not. But we launched in 2010, now 180 people all over the place. Again, really focused right now on some specific data points, card abandonment, things like that. But their breadth and their expanse of their data is growing fast. It's powering a much smarter engine. He came from an agency background, grew that to about 5 million bucks in annual revenue before branched off and did software exclusively. It's bootstrapped, which I I love. They're serving 500 customers, paying on average five grand a month. So doing about 2.5 million per month right now. That's up from about 1.7 just 13 months ago. So 30% year over year growth. Really healthy revenue retention year over year at 101%. CAC to LTV, super healthy as well. They get paid back in under six months. Dominic, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you, Nathan.